The NFL hot stove has officially cooled off, but how did it impact your fantasy team? Let's go to the booth for a review. Welcome to the Challenge Flag Podcast, where we put your fantasy season under review. That's right, it's week 11, and we are back. RJ, it's good to be back and to speak with you again. I know it's been a crazy two weeks on my end. Unfortunately, that has not allowed me to be able to get back in the recording booth. How about yourself? How have the last two weeks gone for you? Last couple weeks have been good for me. I I did have a quick vacation in there, so I got to take blame for at least one of those weeks where I was in Mexico. But it is definitely nice to to be back in the recording studio that is just our our respective homes and nothing fancy. Ready to get talking about fantasy football because a lot has happened in the last few weeks. Yeah, so we'll... uh... I, I guess you could slot me into the dud column for the last two weeks for our weekly stud and dud segment, given that I haven't performed at all. But I'll go ahead and start with my stud of the week for this last week, and that is Justin Fields. Justin Fields really could have been the stud of the week every week that we haven't recorded. But this week in particular, he had 39.38 fantasy points in a matchup against the Detroit Lions. He did this only going 12 for 20 on his passing stats for 167 yards, but threw for two touchdowns. Now, where most of his production came from was 13 carries for 147 yards and two touchdowns. That's over 10 yards a carry and four touchdowns on the week in general. This is the third week in a row that he's put up numbers like this, and it is, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. This is the kind of fancy production that people were hoping for during his rookie season when there was talk about him being a rushing quarterback, a Lamar style of quarterback, and now he's living up to that expectation, but tenfold. So hopefully this continues for Justin Fields. Now, my dud of the week is kind of in the exact opposite situation, someone that we've expected to produce because he's done it before and he just didn't live up to the expectations and what was looked at as a really good matchup. That's A.J. Brown against the Washington Commanders. He had one reception out of four targets for only seven yards on the week. Now given A.J. Brown did get hurt in the first quarter and that may have limited his production for the game, but it didn't keep him off of the field. He was on the field for a large chunk of the game after that. Um, he was throwing some pretty good blocks in the run game, but Devontae Smith was the main beneficiary of whatever production Jalen Hurts could find over the course of the game, which, spoiler alert, if you didn't watch the game, there wasn't much production to be had from this Eagles offense that we've looked at as just an absolute machine. So, The commander somehow found a way to slow down Philadelphia's offense, and really the only viable fantasy plays for that team were Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith. A.J. Brown, unfortunately, was one of the biggest duds on the week. R.J., who were your studs and duds? I've been waiting a long, long, long time to give this guy his opportunity to be a stud, and it is this year's number one overall pick. The biggest disappointment and the biggest bust of the year, Jonathan Taylor. It has been an absolutely forgettable season for JT this year. He's been hurt. His offensive line has been terrible. And now he's undergoing a coaching change to a guy who hasn't even coached at the collegiate level, let alone in the pros. 
Well, maybe all the Colts needed was a breath of fresh air because JT finally produced for his biggest performance since week one. He carried the ball 22 times for 147 yards and a touchdown while contributing two catches for 16 yards, giving him a week 10 total of 24.3 points and the RB1 finish on the week. It wasn't otherworldly, but with Taylor this year, we'll take what we can get. Now, my dud of the week is Cordero Patterson, and this one really still confuses me. Patterson came off of IR last week and produced for the Falcons. Sure, his 3.38 yards per attempt were nothing to write home about, but he scored two touchdowns off of 14 touches during a week that we weren't even sure he was going to play. Surely his touches were going to increase playing on a short week and in poor passing conditions, right? Wrong. Patterson handled the ball only six times against the Panthers, totaling 18 yards on the ground and two through the air in a mere three points. He was out-touched by Tyler Allegier and handled the ball the same amount of times as Caleb Huntley. Until we get some further clarity that Arthur Smith was resting Patterson or another injury popped up, it'll be difficult to trust the wide receiver turned running back moving forward. Now with that, we're going to go ahead and move into our researched segment, and truthfully speaking, I prepared this segment a couple of weeks ago, uh, but it still has some relevance left, but it is titled Deals at the Deadline. So Blake, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some of the deals that the NFL trade deadline had for us, and I just want to hear your opinion on what you've seen so far from these guys, maybe what you see with their value moving forward in the fantasy world, and ultimately, if you think this was maybe positive or negative for them. Don't have to answer all those questions, just some ideas that will pop up. But yeah, so we'll be keeping things just really, really simple as we're getting back into the flow of things, and I'm going to be steering away from players that we have talked a lot about in the past. Like, I think when we were going through the the fantasy trade, like whether or not you should trade for players and things like that, uh, we talked a lot about James Robinson as he had just been traded to the Jets, so we'll be avoiding him, but we're going to start with probably the big one, and that was Christian McCaffrey moving to the San Francisco 49ers in exchange for a 2023 second, third, fourth, and a 2024 fifth. Now, we've had a couple of weeks to see how CMC lives in Kyle Shanahan's offense, but what do you see for CMC moving forward. Is this a good trade for him? Was he better off on the Panthers? Is he going to be better off on the Niners? What do you think? The Christian McCaffrey trade is kind of a catch-22 in some sense. So Kyle Shanahan has already said that he's planning on splitting reps between Elijah Mitchell and Christian McCaffrey, which is no surprise in a Kyle Shanahan offense. It's both one of the things that makes his running back so good and so frustrating at the same time. So, for example, this last week in the San Francisco 49ers game against the Chargers, we saw Elijah Mitchell was in on some of the most important snaps of the game where you would expect Christian McCaffrey to be in. This is what is going to make you pull your hair out if you watch this situation too closely. If you are a Christian McCaffrey fantasy owner, I wouldn't live and die by every San Francisco 49ers snap because you will end up in the loony bin by the time the season's over. What I can tell you, if you are a Christian McCaffrey owner, is don't worry, he's going to do better than he did in Carolina still. Even with the share production, this is just a much, much better offense than what we saw when Christian McCaffrey was over there with Matt Rule. And I think that overall, it's going to be a plus for 
C-Mac. I think that the running scheme that the 49ers run is much more creative. It won't just be running between the two tackles for four plays in a row and then catch a dump off pass on like a swing route or a Texas route every fifth or sixth play. I think Christian McCaffrey will still get work in the passing game like we've already seen, um, <clears throat> which I think will hurt the production of guys like Debo Samuel in particular. But I think that overall, you can expect that Christian McCaffrey is going to put up anywhere from 15 points to 35 points. I think we saw kind of saw his ceiling in the first week he was back when Elijah Mitchell was still banged up when they weren't really using Jeff Wilson, or actually they traded away Jeff Wilson. That That's pretty much the ceiling for Christian McCaffrey in San Francisco. I think his floor is still really, really safe. I don't think he's going to disappoint you with any single-digit weeks unless the 49ers just get run out of the building by a stellar defense. But even with that being the case, I don't think that's going to happen because there are so many weapons. If someone focuses on taking away the run game and Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell, guess what? George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel are all on the standby. And yeah, Jimmy Caroppolo might be the quarterback and he's not going to go Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes on a team. But he's very, very serviceable. Let's not forget, he's gone to a Super Bowl for this team. He's almost won a Super Bowl for this team. He's not a a bad play at all. The Niners are going to be much better because of this trade. Christian McCaffrey is going to be more reliable because of this trade. And I think overall, it's a plus for everyone involved. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think a lot of the things you, you emphasized here make sense. And even if they are getting blown out and playing from behind, I mean, that's part of McCaffrey's bread and butter is that he is a receiving back so just kind of put him there let him be in the backfield for a second run a little out route and a lot of times he's just going to get a lot of PPR points in that way contributing to that floor that you mentioned and I I just tend to agree like it's it's good for him on the sense in the sense that it's not Carolina and with that we're going to go ahead and move on to a less significant Carolina sale and that was when the Arizona Cardinals acquired Robbie Anderson for a 2024 sixth and a 2025 seventh. Do you see Anderson being worth rostering at any point this year? Is this a significant deal at all for the fantasy community? No. Next player. Perfect. Easy enough. Okay, this one's a little bit more exciting. We're moving from the aging vet to the recent first rounder, and that's when the Kansas City Chiefs acquired Kadarius Toney from the New York Giants for only a 2023 compensatory third and a sixth. Now we saw a pretty good game from Tony last week, but is this is this going to be enough? Is this going to revive Tony's career and make him a stud in fantasy football? Yes, and I think Kadarius Tony is actually one of the most interesting trades at the deadline. Kadarius Tony is just a wild card as a person. As I mean, as a human being, he is a little bit off the rails this is the guy who showed up to his very first practice with the New York Giants with no cleats because he didn't remember that he needed cleats to play football didn't his mom drop him off too am I remembering that right was that him or was that someone else I I don't remember how that might that might have been Eli Apple I I need to fact check myself on that but that there was a New York Giants like high pick who got dropped off by his mom and I just a funny story. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was Eli Apple a few years back, the cornerback from Ohio State. But no, Kadarius Tony has kind of always just been a very odd guy, even when he was at Florida. I mean, he was a, a great, great receiver, but off the field, 
it's not necessarily that he was a bad guy. It's just <laughs> you never knew what you were going to get out of him. And, and that kind of personality, the volatility kind of leaks over onto the field. So I think you'll kind of see Kadarius Tony have these types of weeks like we saw last week where he was a very fan a very fantasy viable option but at the same time you know this next week he could go and put up one point for you he could put up zero points for you I think what's most important to note about Kadarius Tony is that he's still in a receiving core that kind of lacks options uh Juju Smith-Schuster has come on pretty nicely over the course the the middle run of the season but he's gotten hurt recently and I really hope that Juju's okay because it's been nice to see him get back to what we saw from him his first couple of years in the league as long as he's not out dancing on the logos I like watching Juju play well it's a lot of fun you know he's he's a great guy but I don't think he can shoulder a wide receiver one workload don't get me wrong I'm not saying Kadarius Tony's a wide receiver one but he's definitely like a slot receiver like a, a Cole Beasley or uh, uh, Juice Landry, where when they're playing well, they'll tear a defense apart. They'll help draw some of that safety coverage away, especially with these two high looks. If you start running Kadarius Tony in over the middle, some deep crossing routes, he'll take some of that safety attention away, open up the passing game for the Chiefs in general. And I think that they know this. Something else that was really exciting to see for Kadarius Tony is that he got involved in the rushing game some end arounds he he has that speed he has that explosiveness you saw it when he was at Florida and you haven't seen it really to this point in the NFL I guess a little bit with the Giants for like one game but he he has just another gear that he can switch into and I think that in an Andy Reid offense that's kind of designed around these trick plays that they run extremely frequently you know Kadarius Tony is going to thrive. I thought it was really funny watching Kadarius Tony score his touchdown where he pulled up in the end zone, grabbing his hamstring, limping in the end zone. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, here we go again. Kadarius Tony finally gets on a good team. He finally gets the opportunity people have been hoping for, and he gets hurt celebrating a touchdown. Now, Kadarius Tony being the wild card he is, of course, he was just trolling all the New York Giants fans who always complained about him never being healthy, which was funny to see. I just hope karma doesn't come back to bite him in the butt. Yeah, I, this one I think is so interesting because when you think back to when Tony was drafted, that was part of his draft profile is raw athleticism, really, really talented, but he's going to need a couple of years for the maturity to catch up for him to be really integrated into an NFL offense and learn just how to be a pro. And so it's so shocking to me that New York gave up on him so quickly. And I know there was the coaching scheme and, and Brian Dable didn't draft Tony, but to give him away for only a third and a, and a sixth, that just, it's crazy to me. And I just, yeah, I really do think that him going to the Chiefs, is it, there's no better situation he could be in. And uh, you mentioned Juju being hurt. I think he's in concussion protocol, if I'm not mistaken, after that really, really bad hit he took. So he should be back, but I'm I'm not scared of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I mean, anyone besides Ty, or not Tyreek Hill, anyone besides Travis Kelsey is really not a threat to his talent. And to see them ma manufacture touches, like you said, with the end of rounds and, and things like that, I, I really do think Tony 
is going to end up being a good consistent fantasy asset. May not be this year, might be next year, but look out for Tony and the Chiefs. Yeah, well, one thing I want to ask you about, because you mistakenly brought this name up, but Tyreek Hill, I know you didn't draw this comparison right here, but I've heard a lot of people draw Kadarius, Tony, Tyreek Hill comparisons. Me, myself, I don't exactly see the the one-for-one comparison. I think Tyreek Hill and Kadarius Tony are two totally different types of players. I think Tyreek Hill was a vertical threat. He was a guy that stretches the field. And while I'm sure Kadarius Tony can do that, he has the speed and athleticism to do that. He seems more like the the quick twitch side of Tyreek Hill where, you know, you give him the ball with three yards of space in the middle of the field and he spins around eight times and jukes left and right seven times and all of a sudden he's off to the races and there's four defenders laying on the ground behind him. That's the side of Tyreek Hill that I see Kadarius Tony really having. Do do you see a solid comparison between the two of them? You mentioned Tony's speed, so that's clearly when you talk about Tyreek Hill, that's that's where you're gonna go. Is Tyreek Hill is the cheetah and he's incredibly fast. So you you got a little bit there, and I will certainly give him that credit. But no, I I, I don't think there's really any comparison to Tyreek Hill in the NFL. Most of the time, when you have like a true speedster. They don't really they don't really do much besides take the top off the defense. They run go routes and that's what you're expecting. And Tyree Kill's just not that. Tyree Kill is such a unique player and and I don't really know if I have another comparison for him. But I see a lot of a guy that we're very familiar with, like a lot of C D Lamb in Kadarius Tony, where it's a little bit more of that slender build, but still kind of a bigger guy. C D is a little bit bigger and people forget that, but more of like run him over the center and then it's what he can do with the ball in his hands after the catch that really makes him a great player and Tyreek kind of does that too you give him just a little bit of room in the middle of the field the difference though is that Tyreek just will outrun the defense and I see CD and Kadarius as being more of like those silky smooth guys where they just like for whatever reason they're hard to tackle and that's, I mean, CD has say what you want about him in the pros, but that's how he was in, in, when he was playing for Oklahoma. It was like, just get him the ball in the middle of the field and he, you can't tackle him. And Tony is very, very similar in that way. Okay. So we're going to move away from the wide receivers and we're going to move into what is hopefully going to maybe, maybe we'll see. We'll see what Blake thinks solidifies another player in the tight end position. And that is when TJ Hawkinson was acquired by the Minnesota Vikings for a 2023 second and a 2023 fourth will Kirk Cousins push Hawk into that top tier of tight ends moving forward I know we've talked a lot about it in previous episodes is Hawk going to be consistent TJ Hawkinson is going to be better than he was in Detroit he's going to be better he's not look top tier top tier is two guys it's Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey, and not in the order that I listed them in. No, TJ Hawkinson is not going to be a top-tier guy. Now, what TJ Hawkinson could be is he could be the top of the second tier, where it's guys who can go and get you 20 points any given week. I think TJ Hawkinson can really do that in Minnesota. I think that he will be much less frustrating to play than he was in Detroit where you never really knew what the game script was. You know what the game script is going to be in Minnesota. They're going to try to keep it decently balanced, but 
it's going to lean more heavily towards the passing game. And how could it not when you've got Justin Jefferson, you've got Adam Thielen, you've got a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield and Dalvin Cook, and now you add TJ Hawkinson. And all the one-possession games that Minnesota has been playing in this year, I think they're 7-0 and in one-possession games. It it just it's the perfect recipe for TJ Hawkinson. You know, you have a better quarterback than Jared Goff because Kirk Cousins is throwing you the ball now. You have a guy who can truly take the top off the defense. You know, Amon Ross St. Brown was good in Detroit. I get that, but he just doesn't have the level of consistency that Justin Jefferson does. And then underneath, you know, say what you want about Adam Thielen, his age, his athleticism at this point. He's still a a very strong receiving threat. He's a very savvy route runner. He knows how to get open. He'll draw defenders away from Hawkinson. I think that it's just, it's a good option for him. And then as far as the safety valve, you know, if you're the defense, who would you prefer catching a a dump off two or three yards down the field? Would you rather TJ Hawkinson get that ball or would you rather Dalvin Cook get that ball? Because I can tell you one of those guys will take that ball 60 yards to the house and TJ Hawkinson is not that guy. His catchable targets will go up. His target share may go down. His actual targets per game may go down. But everything that gets thrown his way will have a chance of being caught because that's what Kirk Cousins does for you. I think that you know there's still a very, very good chance he has a game where he puts up five points or six points every now and then. But overall, I want TJ Hawkinson. My prediction for Hawkinson is he'll be the tight end three on the season moving forward. Just because you saw him come to Minnesota and they immediately put him into that offense in a role where, you know, he shows up and it makes a difference not only on the stat sheet, but on the outcome of the game. So, yeah, I I think he's going to be a great tight end for your fantasy team going forward. I don't think he's a top tier guy yet. And, And to be honest with you, I don't think he ever will be a top tier guy until we see Travis Kelsey retire or we see Mark Andrews just, you know, decide that he's not. He's not playing for a running offense anymore in Baltimore because I know that has to be frustrating for him. I get he's the target one in Baltimore, but, man, that offense just isn't what we thought it was going to be. So, uh, no, he's he's not a top-tier guy, but it's because it's kind of impossible to break that top tier. I tend to agree here. I think, I think Hawk has become what we were hoping Darren Waller would be this year. Like we knew Darren Waller was going to take a step back. It was just natural. When Devontae Adams enters your your offense, you're you're no longer the number one target. You're going to take a step back. And and Hawkinson's in a very similar situation here where obviously Justin Jefferson is one of the best, if not the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. And or at least the best that's not on IR. Shout out to Cooper Cup, sorry. But yeah, Hawk has been, it's been a pleasant surprise. And, and speaking as someone who drafted Hawk and watched him in the Detroit offense on the games where he was in there with the Monroe St. Brown and with those other targets that in that offense, he was getting like, yeah, like seven targets a game, but he was catching three passes off of them to your point, Blake of those catchable passes. And he comes in here now and he's getting like eight, nine targets a game and and putting up really good numbers. It just, it's overall very encouraging sign, but you are 100% right. What separates the Travis Kelsey's and the Mark Andrews from the rest of the crowd is the fact that they are the number one options in their offense. Kelsey's a little bit of a unique case there because Tyreek Hill was in that offense for so long and they were like the 1A, 1B there for Mahomes. But 
I mean, Andrews is the guy. He's 100% the guy, especially with Bateman out. There's no question who that ball is going to. There is questions on Minnesota's front. Does it go to Hawkinson? Does it go to Justin Jefferson? Does it go to Dalvin Cook? There's a lot of mouths to feed. So to your point, this I think that that prediction of tight end three is a very, very good one. But we're, we're going to keep rolling. This is the last stop we have today. And that is going to be Chase Claypool, who the Pittsburgh Steelers dealt to the Chicago Bears for a 2023 second round pick, which is really, really spicy because I believe it is actually higher than the pick the Steelers use to draft Claypool. So you have to ask yourself, is that, is that even worth it? Did he really improve his value that much? But most importantly, is he going to be fantasy relevant? And will he help Justin Fields with his early career passing woes? Obviously, he's got the rushing figured out, but he's still not quite the passer that you need to be in the NFL. I've seen a lot of people make a big deal about Chase Claypool being traded for a higher pick than he was actually picked with in the NFL draft. I think that's with everyone assuming that the Bears are going to suck the entire rest of the way in the, the rest of the NFL season because they they traded away what is currently the 39th pick in the draft. Chase Claypool was selected with the 49th pick. So if the Bears can find themselves in a position where they end up competing for a wild card spot given their new look offense that they have with Justin Fields, which actually looks really really dangerous then you know it could end up evening out either way you know it it was bad value a guy who hasn't produced as a second round pick over the last year and a half two years i guess at this point you don't want to give up that kind of capital i think they probably got tricked into a deal by the pittsburgh steelers who were saying oh well all these teams are coming in offering this kind of stuff when in reality i i think they were bluffing and the chicago bears just weren't willing to call their bluff do i think he's going to be viable fantasy option no i would like for him to be a viable fantasy option i like i said i like the chicago offense but only for justin fields really i mean Maybe you can put Darnell Mooney or Cole Komet as guys you are willing to put in your lineup. I, Cole Komet for sure, because in the tight end landscape, it's so scarce. You're willing to take a dart throw on Cole Komet. Maybe he gets a touchdown on a broken play, or maybe he you know doesn't give you a goose egg, which is really all you're looking for from your tight end. The receivers here, desperate flex plays. I mean... Darnell Mooney has had some good games now that Justin Fields looks much much better, but it, it's kind of going to be a pick 'em for which receiver is going to get the touchdowns. Chase Claypool could get the touchdown. Darnell Mooney could get the touchdown. Let's not forget, while Justin Fields put up 40 fantasy points like each of the last three weeks, like this past week, he only had 12 completions, right? So it's deceiving because what's what's good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander here. Justin Fields is going to benefit a ton for fantasy production, whereas everyone else in this offense, I mean, yeah, so, some weeks they'll they'll get you something good. Maybe one week Chase Claypool scores two touchdowns. Everyone goes, picks him up off the waiver wires because he goes four receptions on five targets, puts up 80 yards and two touchdowns. All of a sudden he looks like, oh my gosh, this is Chase Claypool's breakout game. No, no, it, it's just, it just so happened that while Justin Fields was making eight defenders miss in the backfield and everyone's eyes were focused on him, Chase Claypool decided he was going to leak out up the sideline for one big play. That really changed the whole game. 
or the whole week fantasy wise for Claypool. What are, what are your thoughts on Claypool though? Am I being a little too pessimistic on this Bears offense? No, I don't think so. It Justin Fields has been really really good in the past couple weeks, but he still has another step to take as a passer. It's just the reality that we're seeing. He he's scoring a lot all of his fantasy points based off of the fact that he's rushing like a first round running back. And that is insane. Now, I think long term, if you're playing Dynasty, I, I think Claypool is a nice, interesting prospective ad because if Fields takes another step forward next year after he has a full offseason with Claypool, who is much more of a weapon than they've had there besides Mooney, it it could be interesting. It could be. I think Claypool has another step to take himself to being a dominant number one, but in terms of fantasy this season, from what I've seen so far, I don't think Claypool is going to be worth rostering, but it'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Certainly more interesting than Robbie Anderson. Yeah, Robbie Anderson, man, what a fall from grace. I don't know if you remember. At one point, he had a good fantasy season back with uh, the the Jets. Feels like forever ago at this point. No, it, when he got to Carolina. His first year in Carolina, he was a beast. Oh, yeah, the Sir Purr, the Sir Purr year. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, he was really, really good because you had him. You had him. He was like a random pickup. No one drafted him. And he was just like a PPR monster. And then he forgot how to catch passes and like led the league in drops for three straight years. Yeah, that that's odd. If you disrespect Sir Purr, you know, it'll find a way to bite you in the butt. That, that Karma's real. Yeah, Sir Purr curse. That's what it is. So... Concerning the fact that Robbie Anderson is not going to be the best play for us this week, let's go through our best plays. So the last week we did, my best play prediction was Jerry Judy, and that week he put up 18.3 fantasy points. That is a win for myself. I'm now 3-2-2 on the season. RJ's best play the week before we went off air was Tyler Lockett, who put up 15.3 fantasy points. He is now 4-3-0 on the season. My best play for this week is going to be T. Higgins, receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. I know what you're thinking. T. Higgins is a stud. T. Higgins, of course. Jamar Chase is out. T. Higgins has not been what we thought T. Higgins was going to be with Jamar Chase being out. Since Jamar Chase has gone down to injury, T. Higgins has put up 13.9 fantasy points against Cleveland, 13 flat against Carolina, and then this last week he was on bye. With Jamar Chase being out, everyone has been expecting T. Higgins to put up 20-plus point fantasy performances. Well, this week against the Steelers, he gets it done. He is going to finally be able to expose that secondary in a, a game where, let's face it, the Pittsburgh Steelers are looking ahead to brighter pastures or greener pastures. The Pittsburgh Steelers are kind of not necessarily throwing in the towel on the season, but I think they're starting to realize Kenny Pickett isn't the future. I think that they're kind of going into rebuild mode, and you know their defense has kind of reflected the same sentiment that their offense has showed, which is that the season is a lost cause. So I think with Jamar Chase, no one really knows when his return is going to be. The Bengals know that they're going to need to figure out this pass offense, which they have not been able to get up off the ground without Jamar Chase in the lineup. I think they've been resting too much on the back of Joe Mixon, who 
That's a great strategy if you want to have that for your team. That's why you have Joe Mixon on your team, stud running back. But they know that they're going to have to save him for the playoffs. They can't just give him 30-plus carries a game. T. Higgins is going to figure it out this week. I'm expecting a 20-plus point performance. I don't want any wins in my win column unless we see 20, 21, 22 points from T. Higgins. I think we could even see, and, and this is really bold. I don't want this to count against me if this doesn't happen. I think we could see a 30-plus point performance because I just think this Steelers defense is really bad. RJ, who's your best play of the week? Well, I, I was going to give you a hard time there, Blake, about picking a fourth-round pick as your your flexible player this week. But with the 20-point prediction, we're going to we're gonna lay off that because I, I do think that that is an interesting one, and it's a great pick, a great secondary to go do that against. But I'm going to go in a completely different direction. I'm going to go with a guy that was generally not drafted and has looked a little iffy in recent weeks, and that is Brian Robinson Jr., now, it has been an absolute crazy season for him. It is remarkable to see him back on a football field and playing significant time and getting significant you know, snaps on this commander's team. Unfortunately, that hasn't quite translated into an efficient start for Robinson's career, but that tends to happen with rookie running backs, and we can certainly see this team is going to give him opportunities. And luckily for Robinson, he rolled out his Best game of the season last week. He had 26 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown against a really tough Eagles team. And he goes right into about as easy of a matchup as they come. And that is against the Houston Texans and their league worst rushing defense. I really think that Washington saw this past week that committing to the run and not making Taylor Heineke be the hero was an effective strategy for them. I think they're going to keep the ball on the ground. I think Robinson's going to get another 20-plus touches against the Houston Texans. That usually translates to a lot of fantasy points. So I'm rolling with Robinson as my play of the week. And we're going to go ahead and jump straight into our fades of the week. Last time we did this before our, our little off-air Blake, you picked DeAndre Swift, and he scored eight points. So we're going to give you the win there. He is now 3-1. and one. And then I picked Darrell Henderson Jr., who scored 5.6 points. And so I am also 3-1. and one. But I will be I'll be kind of taking a gamble on this one. This guy is, is someone who has produced points this season. He's a little bit more streaky. So, you know, you can kind of throw him out here, and you probably have a 50% success rate. But I'm going to roll the dice on this week, and that is Amari Cooper. He's been kind of an anomaly overall. He's up one week, he's down another, and I'm sure fantasy managers are getting frustrated when they start him during his bad weeks and sit him during his good weeks. But for me, his matchup this week just screams sit. And the Bills is who they're going up against, against the Browns and the Bills. And before we even I dive into what I researched, I just got an alert on my phone that there is like a winter weather advisory that I didn't even take into account. So it could be like snowy and wet and like just terrible even on top of that, but not even taking account the weather. The Bills secondary has been beat up this year, but have somehow maintained a league best 56% completion percentage despite those injury woes. And this is in large part due to an absolutely elite front seven and a relentless pass rush that figures to challenge Jacoby Brissett and send the Browns swiftly into the Deshaun Watson era, which is just a couple weeks out. So Mark Cooper is my fate of the week. Blake, who do you got? Yeah, you're taking a little bit of a gamble. I'm going to play it a little bit safer. I think it's usually pretty easy to predict when running backs are going to have bad weeks. 
And I think this week it's going to be a very bad week for one James Conner running back for the Arizona Cardinals. James Conner, who, mind you, has been injured for a lot of this season, came back and, and immediately got the workload back that he had previously sacrificed to Eno Benjamin during his time off. Guess what? Eno Benjamin got put on waivers and is now no longer on the Arizona Cardinals. So there's no backup plan for this team. Now, with James Conner, he has had two decent games. I mean, the first game back was kind of closer to what you expected. He only put up about 11 fantasy points against the Seahawks. But last week, he put up almost 24 fantasy points against this Rams defense. Now, this Rams defense is supposed to be a better pass defense than run defense. But nonetheless, they're just supposed to be good defense in general. One of the better in the NFL. 24 fantasy points is a great fantasy performance. And what's he rewarded with? He's rewarded with a date against the San Francisco 49ers, who are just an absolute stout defense. They held Austin Eckler to, I think, under 50 rushing yards last week. And granted, the Chargers didn't seem to try to want to rush very much last week, but Austin Eckler is no slouch of a running back. James Conner, he's not Austin Eckler. Let, let's not kid ourselves. He... He produces like a top 15 running back. I don't know if I'd place him in the top 15 running backs in the league when I you know, actually watch NFL games. I think he's going to have a really, really tough day. <clears throat> I think the Cardinals are going to have a tough day in general. This team just feels like it's imploding, and every week we get closer and closer to them just saying, screw it, let's rebuild around Kyler, and then move on from Cliff Kingsbury, trade away DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, I... I don't know what this team needs to do, but something is broken there. And I think that the San Francisco 49ers are going to expose it this week. I think James Conner will be under 10 points for your fantasy team. I think if you were really happy with his production last week, you're going to want to rip your hair out watching him play this week. It's just that San Francisco defense is going to be pretty lethal. With that, I just want to say it was good to be back. Getting back into the swing of things, hopefully we'll keep this up much more consistently through the rest of the season and we'll be able to provide you guys with some great insight going into the fantasy playoffs and as the season winds down as always good luck this week and for my co-host rj beecher we will see you next week